Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, Poddleters. Very excited to be back in your ear holes. Um, not literally, obviously. I don't think I would fit in your ear hole. And if I would, I would maybe consider contacting the Guinness World Book of Records because you've probably got quite big... Um, Ear holes. Okay, good. Absolutely not relevant. Anyway, this week I'm speaking to Dr. Hazel Wallace, who is the founder of The Food Medic. She's an author, personal trainer, and now also a registered nutritionist, which is why I wanted to get her to come and talk about the difference between nutrition and medicine, why it's so hard to navigate these conversations around nutrition, especially on social media, and how we are impacted by food and our relationship with it. I think it's a really meaty one, and I really hope you do enjoy it. Please do rate, review, and subscribe. And yeah, see you soon. Hopefully not on your own holds though. Okay, bye. Hi guys and welcome to Adulting. This week I am joined by Hazel Wallace. Hi, I'm Hazel. I'm a medical doctor. I work in the NHS in a department of nutrition. I'm also, I've just finished my master's in nutrition, so I'm technically a nutritionist now as well. And I'm author and founder of The Food Medic, which is an educational platform aimed at bridging the gap between medicine and nutrition and discussing other aspects of health. Amazing. Do you know what? I bet everyone says this to you, but my favourite thing is when you say NHS, because you like prop. Does anyone say that to you? Is it because I pronounce the you? Because you properly say it. You're like, and I always think that's so. I can't even do it. It's because you're accent. Oh, we have to do accent lessons after this. So the reason that I brought Hazel on today is because you're in a really interesting position, which not a lot of people are in, where you're, as you say, a medical doctor, but you also now are a qualified nutritionist. And I think as everyone is wanting to get more clued up on nutrition and as we have more access to information, it's transpiring that maybe some of the information that we get fed online is a bit of misinformation. But there's also this kind of knowledge which is becoming more common now that perhaps even doctors aren't best placed to talk about nutrition because it really is its own separate thing um and so I just wanted to talk to you about how your journey in marrying the two has kind of come about and where you're at with it yeah absolutely so I started the food medic which is the brand that I run like eight years ago now 2012 so yeah seven years ago and uh at the time I was in medical school um I I just finished my first degree which was medical sciences and I was really excited to go into medicine and learn more about kind of food and nutrition, because at that point, from a personal point of view, I I didn't really feel like I was my healthiest. I'd just done my three-year degree undergrad and I had like lived the uni life. So I was kind of interested from my own kind of selfish perspective, what should I be eating to support my health and how can I support um, my patient's health? And what I found was that we didn't really at all talk about nutrition or physical activity or any kind of lifestyle interventions within medicine um we learned a whole lot of stuff about drugs and surgery Mm. but and you know there's there's hardly any room in the curriculum to fit in other stuff but I I felt like this was a gap so I started the food medic and that was started as a blog 
initially. And I tried to distill the information that I found um, kind of within the scientific literature into like easy to follow blog posts. I wasn't giving out like anything too robust in terms of the way of like in terms of nutritional advice. But I felt pretty confident in what I was doing and, you know, was sharing like healthy recipes. I also did my PT qualification at the time and went on, got my uh, degree in medicine and then moved to London and started working as a junior doctor. And in that time, I wrote two books, The Food Medic and The Food Medic for Life. And then I decided to take time out to do my master's in nutrition because in order to be a registered nutritionist, you have to do a degree or a master's degree. And that was really important to me. So I've just finished that now in August. And I've just started my job as a nutrition SHO, which means senior house officer. It's basically a junior doctor. Um, and that's very different nutrition. That's like very unwell patients. Most of the nutrition that I deal with is um, parental nutrition, which means like artificial feeding via some kind of venous access. So I've really come full circle and um, I think the food medic and my initial kind of goals with it or kind of vision for it has massively changed. Mm. I've grown as a person. I've learned so much more. I feel like I have i don't know as much as I used to know <laughs> because I was so confident then. Um, and I think you made a really valid point just there, like, should doctors be offering nutrition? And now that I've kind of come full circle, I think... No, I think I don't think doctors should be offering bespoke nutritional advice. I think it's really important, though, that doctors get some kind of fundamental training mm. in basic dietary intervention so that on a GP level, you can say, give some kind of like pointers, but you're not giving um, anything that's like too, I guess, clinical, um, because that's when we can run into issues. But you, because I actually went to the same uni as you, I don't even remember, but you we used to go to the same gym and I used to see you because I followed you from forever. So when you used to go to UFIT and oh I would be God, in there yes. as well. Um, but you've always been someone who's clearly had an incredible work ethic because even though I've said, oh, doctors don't know about nutrition, like I know from having like doctors in my family, you learn a hell of a lot. Like it's not because they don't know what they're talking about. It's just that that course is already so jam-packed full of stuff so it's actually amazing to watch you and also I don't know anyone who could do how you write books do a master's and do a medical <laughs> degree and all of that is incredible but I think it'll take someone like you to to see it because it is very I think it's quite a humbling position of you to go actually do you know what I think I don't know even though you're in a, such a highly qualified industry mm. and I think what that does is it helps others to understand that 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 the gap in knowledge with nutrition when it comes to medicine or sometimes maybe things are said and it lands wrong isn't from a place of, um, I think sometimes people think that when doctors say things about nutrition, it's cruel or, but I think it's just from a place of actually there's so much to learn yeah. that it, it's really hard to squeeze all of that into one profession. Yeah, and it's a very different science. Um, so like medical sciences are very, or like even medical studies, for example, looking at drugs are really, really like, really easy to not easy to do but um kind of easy to interpret so it's like x plus y equals z for example but then when you look at like nutrition studies we're mostly looking at observational studies so mm. we're watching populations over a long period of time and we're making assumptions by looking back on their diet 
their diets and um, knowing their diets or what they eat will either come from them telling us what they've eaten. So that's self-reported. And people are notoriously really bad at that. Like mm. you probably don't remember what you ate last week. And also if someone's asking you, you're probably going to be like, well, I ate my five a day and yeah. my oily fish. So there, it's like nutritional science is just kind of like totally open to all of those flaws and things. But also, like I said, it's kind of a different way of interpreting the signs. So I didn't really learn how to do that um, in medical school. And now I've kind of come through this master's. I read science or that particular science in a different way. Mm. So I think it comes with experience, but also understanding. Um, And that's why I think it's absolutely important that we have not just doctors, but like nutritionists and dietitians all working together. But at the moment, there's just this kind of weird vibe especially I see mm. this on, on on the doctors and the and the kind of nutritionists and dietitians online like that's your job this is my job stop trying to you know step on my toes type of thing and I don't think that's what's what's happening um like I don't really you know I don't really see an issue with doctors talking about it but I think we just need maybe a bit more um of a like a robust nutrition program kind of running through the medical school curriculum or something but it's it's difficult I thought it was easy but now that I've come through I'm like no (laughs) I I guess also because with nutrition as you say to be a registered nutritionist you have to do a degree or a master's Mm. but the term nutritionist is not um protected is it so kind Mm. of like there's a bit of a free-for-all and the regulation around it is difficult could you explain just so we're or Claire, what's the difference between a nutritionist and a dietitian? Yeah. So like you said, a nutritionist is not a protected um, term. So you can do like, a, you know, a weekend course on Groupon and call yourself a nutritionist, which is really, really difficult because mm. then some people come to me and they're like, hey, my nutritionist told me this. And I'm like, are they a registered nutritionist? That patient or person doesn't know exactly. So it's really difficult for me to like decipher if the information they've they've gotten has come from a good place and that you know some some nutritionists or nutritional therapists who are unregulated do give good advice but it's just different kind of training pathway and then registered nutritionists like you said they've done a degree um but that's looking more at nutritional science so like what we're just talking about and then dietitians tend to do like a a longer training and they're very clinical based so most of them will work within a hospital um, and we don't have nutritionists in the NHS, for example. We just have work with dietitians. Okay. Um, so they're the kind of, they also specialize similar to doctors. They may work in oncology or gastro or nutrition, like the ones that I work with. Um, and they've got a better understanding of kind of health problems. So it's more kind of like illness related, whereas nutrition's maybe more performance or preventative health yeah absolutely you can still get dietitians who work in sports uh, nutrition for example but uh, lots of nutritionists for example work on like public health policy or um, they'll work in the media and things like that Um, and also lots of them will go on and do just research like PhDs and things like that. Um, You said earlier when you were studying your degree that a lot of the things you spoke about weren't necessarily to do with like exercise and food Mm. and do you think that that's something that's changing in that as the wellness want of a better word industry grows do you think that we're seeing well I mean I'm sure this is always important but the idea of being more preventative and kind of like trying to live a healthy life to prevent illness rather than um treating illness do you think that's like an attitude that's changing 
Yeah, I absolutely think so. I think people, I think most people know that in order to stay healthy, they should eat a certain way and exercise X amount of times a week and and sleep and, and manage their stress. But I think now we've come to the point where if we kind of step back and look at the diseases that we're suffering from or dying from today, they're very different to what they were like, you know, even 50 years ago. So we're no longer dying of infectious diseases. Mm. The example that I always use is HIV, where, you know, 20 years ago, that was in one of the top 10 killers of the world. It's no longer really a death sentence because yeah. we've got incredible medicines that, and we can, you know, pick it up early. But now we see things like type 2 diabetes killing people and like people suffering from type 2 diabetes at a very young age. And that's not something that we typically see in a young person. And that's largely lifestyle related. So we're kind of like, well, I can give you pills to help mm. control your blood sugar, but it's not going to fix the problem. So the best kind of alternative to that is stopping people getting sick in the first place. And that's where preventative medicine comes in. But then that's fraught with problems as well, because it's all well and good telling someone to eat, you know, your five a day and get exercising. But we know that kind of, you know, the people who are um, more likely to get sick are also more likely to come from a lower so socioeconomic status as well. And um, will they have access to a gym, for example, or open areas mm. or can they afford fruit and vegetables? So there's so many things that come into the picture when we're looking at like what are the determinants mm. of health really and the other thing I was actually thinking about this earlier but I guess that the, these lifestyle choices that we're making are a symptom of society the fact that we work such long hours and we've got cars and washing machines and like manual labor is massively reduced by technology improving mm. so I guess it's not that much of a shock that we're over consuming like highly produced foods and not really moving very far I think a lot of the time the difficulty when we go to approach conversations especially that might relate to somebody's um, weight or size is that it feels like it's such a personal attack mm. when actually if we look at you know as you say like the demographics that suffer from weight related illness it's not necessarily the individual's problem there's so much down to the way that our society is set up that impacts it. And I think what's hard when we talk about nutrition is because it's so personal and food is more than just food. It's like your family time or it's how you show love to your children or whatever. It's really hard to, to separate those conversations and make people feel like they're comfortable to talk about nutrition without it then impacting all the other areas of their life. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's why weight and, and food is such a sensitive area because you it's very difficult to not talk about it without putting blame on the person mm. and also it's very easy to pass judgment on someone and sit and think because you are x weight you are because you eat in a certain way or you're lazy and you don't exercise enough you don't know what that person's background is and also like you just mentioned we live in this environment that is it's not health promoting I guess yeah. it's more sickness promoting and I don't want to sound that sounds really extreme but like they, you just walk into like a shop and you know that the food that is like, you know, available to you is highly processed. And while that's fine in moderation, that's really kind of what we're getting the majority of the time as opposed to the minority mm. of the time. And that's something that's changed over the years as well as physical activity levels. And while our calorie intake hasn't really changed, we're just eating different foods. And like you said, we're not really moving anymore. We're not doing laborious jobs. Most of us have a very sedentary lifestyle. Mm. 
Um, and I think that's only going to get worse. Do you know what I actually want to ask you about? I think I heard you talking about this, but I think before people would say like a calorie is a calorie is a calorie. But mm. actually, um, I think it's through listening to you that I've learned that we do digest certain foods differently. And whilst I think that's not necessarily always like that's something, not something we need to worry about, but sometimes, especially in times when I know, certainly when I was in like disordered eating times, I there was times when I didn't care what I was eating as long as I was eating few enough calories. Mm. But the properties within the food are so important, not just for like health, but actually you don't necessarily, I mean, I think calories are something which are useful to understand but aren't always the measure that I think we put them as like the top thing to know about. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, caloric intake when it comes to weight management will always be like top tier, the most important thing probably. And then after that, it'll be like macronutrient, micronutrient composition. And macronutrients are your carbs, fats, protein, and then your micronutrients are all your vitamins, minerals. But it's just like, you know, you got like one crowd on Instagram who are like really like um, macro counting or mm. if, if it's your macros. And they're kind of like promote once it's within your calorie or macro range, you can eat whatever you want. So like, you know, 2000 calories of Pop-Tarts is going to equal to 2000 calories worth of like healthy, fresh fruit and veg. Yeah. It's not your body isn't going to. So technically, yes, if you put it side by side, um, put it in a bomb calorimeter, it might just, you know produce the same amount of calories which is energy but for your body to extract the energy it's going to be a very different process mm. and also we don't eat foods or nutrients in isolation we eat food, foods together um so like when people say for example that um you know in broccoli it's like rich in iron for example it's not just iron that's in there. there's so many other nutrients how they interact with one another is very different if you cook that broccoli it's going to mm. be different if you have it with I don't know, some hummus, that's going to make a difference as well because there's fat in hummus. And so we, we're we very reductionist when we look at food. Yeah. And it's just far more complex than that. Do you think that as individuals we need to have, because I, I can't work out which way it goes. I can't work out either we almost are trying to get too involved in our nutrition to the point that it does become disordered. Like I've definitely been through and thank God like out the other side. Mm. But being out the other side, I've realised that my relationship with food is more relaxed and that's actually made me have a better relationship like I'm not as stressed about what I'm eating I actually am enjoying good foods and good I shouldn't say good enjoying like nutritionally dense foods and calorie dense foods and whatever I want but almost when I tried to learn too much probably from not very good sources that complicated my relationship with food more and do you think as I guess it depends on the demographic but do you think as someone coming from like a medical nutrition background is there like an optimum amount that we should know about food yeah, I think I think it depends on the person. Um and also I I kind of when I'm when it comes to this conversation, I kind of see two populations. I see the population um where you and I guess would fit into where we are already healthy. Yeah. <laughs> like we're already healthy and what we do is going to make marginal differences to our health. Um and in, in that instance, so if we're looking at, you know, the young women who are users of Instagram, for example, I think they're just seeking better health mm. and um, they're the, the population who are at risk of becoming too obsessed. So they'll have, like exhibit orthorexic tendencies where they're like, oh, should I cut out this or should I be eating more of this? And they get a bit too anxious about what they're eating. But then, you know, there's the other population who I see probably more in the hospital who don't really have a grasp of nutrition. They probably know that, you know, fruits and vegetables are good for them, but 
they wouldn't really know that they wouldn't use the language that we use when it comes to nutrition. Mm. And I don't think, I think they could do with slightly more education. Mm. The thing is, when we look at the science, we know that edu- regardless of how much you educate a person when it comes to nutrition, it doesn't really make a difference to their intake. So there's so many other barriers that are in the way, like we spoke about, like money, access, you know, fresh fruit and vegetable goes off all the time. Um, people don't know how to cook. People don't have access to a kitchen. So that's that's why I get so frustrated when I see like messages when people are like, just eat less, move mm. more. And you're like, it's, it's it infuriates me. But it's not impossible. And that's why we need to, it's not just an individual approach. We need to do like government top-down level approaches yeah. where we make uh, healthier food more available and easier to buy. I was just exactly about to say that every podcast that I do that talks about any kind of like social issues, the biggest problem that comes down to is inequality and the fact that the people in in the worst case scenarios suffer so much. And as you say, like everyone knows we're shoved down our throats information about like what's healthy. But if you can't buy that, or as you say, things like there's so many little things that you don't realize that you have such a privilege in, in being able to do, even just your mum cooking in front of you when you're younger. Mm. Like if you're a single mum with five kids and you're working three jobs, like what's the likelihood that you're cooking fresh meals every night? Probably not very high. So that is a, a massive shame. But you do a lot of work with Public Health England, don't you? So I guess that's at the forefront of a lot of what yeah, you target. So- they, like, obviously any public health campaign has to help the majority, but it's not going to help everyone. Mm. And so their recommendations are very much blanket general recommendations, which is why some people will tear them down and say, you know, this is not appropriate for X person. But so a lot of the things when it comes to like sugar reduction, calorie reduction and things like that will be um, kind of reducing or like reformulating things so changing the um ingredients and recipes so that there's less calories or less sugar less fat etc um and then overall people will kind of slowly they'll still be buying whatever food but they'll be consuming less calories so it's kind of sneaky right but um it's it's worked in in kind of experiments or uh, other countries that have tried it and so the sugar tax is one of the biggest examples that we're we're doing now at the moment and that's we put a tax on um, any beverages that have a certain amount of sugar on them. Um, and then that will be up to the company. Then they have to take that tax on. So it's in their interest to reduce the amount of sugar so that they don't get taxed. Some companies ignore that and they're like, I don't care. We'll take the tax and we'll we'll just keep pumping out our drinks. But a lot of companies have taken that on board and they've reduced the sugars in their in their drinks. But, and people haven't noticed really. Uh, that's really interesting. Yeah. Um, and so... It's not going to change anything. It's a blunt tool. But I think those kind of um, kind of population-based things that we can do are helpful. Um, I know some people would disagree with me, but I think it's kind of we need to attack this. And it, oh, attack is probably the wrong word. But when it comes to health on a population level, we have to like look at what we can do that's going to help the most people. Yeah. And again, yeah, that does you know, the people who, are, who probably need our help the most may not get it. Um, but I think when it comes to public health, they're they're looking at the, the people who mm. are lower income. And that's why kind of, you know, the messaging is very simple, really, really easy rules. Some of the things that isn't are not like, they're not great messages sometimes. A bit you know? problematic. Yeah. 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 But I think people need to understand the difficulty when mm. it comes to creating guidance and it would be great to for example roll out an intuitive eating program for you know the whole of the UK but 
I don't know how that would work. No. So it's, you know, you have to, we have to think about the population we're speaking to when we when we discuss nutrition. I think um, the other interesting thing that people want to do is they're always looking for like this this perfect diet or what should I be eating? Or, and people are always fascinated. They always ask me like, what do you eat in a day? And I find it, I remember I used to watch what I eat in a day videos and even sometimes I'd make them. And then you think about it and you think it's so it's so difficult and problematic because from day to day you might eat i some days i eat loads some days i don't eat very much some days i eat loads of vegetables and some days i don't and i think this idea and you you brought it up earlier is people want a clear instruction to um go off and i think we've lost a bit of the i think because food has become so politicized it actually as much as we're trying to strip away the messages of good and bad like i did earlier there is almost more of a moral attachment to food i think people are becoming even more judgmental around the way that we eat and it becomes misplaced. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's changed, you know, like we we had that like whole backlash against clean eating mm. and good and bad. And that was, you know, that, I mean, I'm glad that we've moved on from that. But now we've got this kind of, this whole ethical and sustainable um, type, mm. type stance. So like, People are eating in a certain way because they feel like they have to um, in order to save the planet or because they don't want to be the person who's still eating meat or still eating fish. Um, And I think that's problematic in itself because there's this massive peer pressure to eat in a certain way and people don't know what to think or what to say and where they're getting their information is from the people who are highly influencing Mm. them, which are celebrities, influencers, influencers. Netflix documentaries yeah. and things like that. I actually was going to ask you about this because there are some people who, so I've done, I kind of went full vegan out of guilt for like a few months last year. Um, and then I've just kind of reintroduced, and I don't, I'm not, I'm like whatever flexitarian or whatever the <laughs> word is, but I'm like in the middle. And I find myself apologizing when I post, because I'm so scared that someone's going to tell me off. But it's so silly. I think that we, making these extremes just makes it even more inaccessible for people because then you get this idea that, well, I've got to go vegan or I might as well just not bother. And then I think that's where the, the trouble's caused. There needs to be a bit more um, kindness about it. These extremes, as you're saying that, it's so funny. I was just thinking, you know, like when we say you're like that elastic band theory when you go on a diet, it's like the whole world, did that. well, the whole country went clean eating and now we've got this backlash into almost, it's a good, it's a pushback against diet culture. But in some instances, it does seem that we're also going the other way as in like eat to the point of, being very overfull and that's fine also and like neither of those extremes are ideal but it's almost like the whole country's like yo-yo dieting and maybe we'll get to a point of equilibrium at some point but how do you deal with the problematic messaging around overeating because we know that's just as much of an issue but it's it's more difficult to talk about I find yeah so I think there's um you know there's one group of people who are like, you need to be very conscious of what you're eating and, you know, you are what you eat. And some, sometimes that messaging is a bit like, ugh, um, <laughs> nauseating. Yeah. From, um, but I think then there's another group of people who are like, you know, eat whatever you want and just love your body the way it is. And I think that's absolutely wonderful and everyone should love the body that they're in and enjoy their food first and foremost and should not feel like they need to shrink themselves. However, nutrition is really important for our health, um, and so are the things that we do every day. So I think sometimes the messaging can be misinterpreted, Mm -hmm. or it can be kind of put out in a way that is not easy for people to interpret. So, 
eat whatever you want or kind of, yeah, like don't stress about eating, you know, eight donuts or whatever like that. Some people actually will will take that gospel and Mm. they won't worry about it. And so we need to be really careful about who these messages are landing on. Um, So intuitive eating is something that I don't really um, see, like I'm not an expert in it. It's a very uh, niche area of nutrition um, and I absolutely support it, but it's something that is only useful for like a certain uh, population of people. And also it needs to be uh, done with a nutritionist or registered nutritionist or dietitian who's trained in that. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. So then you can get girls who severely undereat, for example, and if they want to go and intuitive eat, to them they'll say, well, I'm not hungry, and they'll just keep losing weight. So for like eating disorder people, it's it's very tricky for them to eat intuitively. Also, there'll be some people who will have broken their hunger and satiety cues from from years and years of dieting. So they will no longer stop when they feel full. Um, they won't know when they're hungry. They'll just eat and eat and eat. And that's that's really problematic. And that is a symptom of diet culture, absolutely. Mm. But for them to learn how to eat intuitively again, that's such a big process that I really think in those instances, they need to be supported by someone who can train them along the way. Um so I think we've gotten to the point where it's kind of like black or white and there's no way in between. Mm. Like people are scared to talk about what they eat or ask questions about nutrition because they don't want to, uh, I guess they're f- afraid to fall kind of victim to diet culture. Mm. Um, and I think there's still a risk of that happening for some people. But I think for people like yourself who've come through full circle you know what your body wants, but you also don't see food as like this, not enemy, but um, like you're not fixated on it. And it's not just uh, an energy thing for you. It's also family. Mm. It's enjoyment. Like you go out to eat and you're not stressing about what's on the menu because you're going out to celebrate someone's birthday and things like that. And I think that's the part of food and nutrition that I love. Mm. Um, And I think that we've, so we've dissected it so much that that's lost I agree I think what it is it seems that everyone has some traumatic relationship with food whether that's they restricted and so now they binge or whether they have an emotional we all every everyone that I meet has got some quirk like some weird thing from food and it is from the fact that in the media, I guess, the way that it's portrayed in so many different iterations of our lives, whether it's my mum who has, like, still ingrained ideas from, like, when those magazines and Slim Shake thing was out, to now to people being, like, almost anti-salad because they think if they have that, it'll look like they're being anti-feminist. There's so many weird things mm-hmm. that get tied, tied into food that I think it, it, it is, as you say, really, really hard to question it because you don't want to feel like you don't know what you're talking about because everyone's such an expert on it. And I think online, this is something, I think social media 
can help, but again, it's the way that you use it. And I think what happens is when people put out headlines or stories, we don't necessarily interrogate them as much as we should. So mm. for instance, I remember reading things like don't eat pasta or don't eat carbs after 6 p.m. or don't, And I would just do whatever the thing was or the celery juice thing, which seems to have stopped now. And all of these things have no nutritional bearing. Mm. And I think maybe one thing we should do collectively is try to be more scientific with it and and use our, I don't know, like we try to be more analytical with the information we're given. Because do you find, I guess, one of the problems is that there is, it's like the Wild West. There's so much information. And again, everyone is so, so different when it comes to their nutrition. Yeah, I think we kind of like suffer from this kind of anecdotal evidence on social media where N equals one. Um, so what works for me will work for you type of thing. But you and I could eat the exact same diet and we'll never look the same or yeah. be the same or have the same health conditions or, you know, health parameters. That will just never happen because our bodies are so different. And that's why sharing food on Instagram can be a little bit tricky. Um, and like you mentioned earlier, like the what I eat in a day videos is something that I've never done. I, I don't want to do, but I've definitely done it for magazines, for example. And I've had to start saying no because that's irrelevant to what mm. to my job. That's yeah. totally irrelevant. Um, and I think when it comes to the headlines, to come back to your um, main point, <laughs> the way the newspapers and um, kind of like online magazines grasp people is by by fear mongering or through excitement. So they are always going to twist a headline in mm. some shape or form. Um, I think it's really difficult for someone who doesn't have a kind of a background in, in said science to really dissect that themselves. But I think it's always good to look, if you're reading an article, to look at the comments of the researcher who was on, they usually get the comments of the researcher and they'll say, you know, this is what we found, but, <laughs> um, and they kind of make it a bit more clearer. Also, if you're reading these headlines or these kind of posts from people who are on Instagram, I would read their bio first as well and see, like, what are, what is their background? Is it just like a girl, like an everyday girl? Or is it, uh, you know, some guy who's, you know, promoting lots of supplements mm. or has like some kind of agenda? Or is it someone who's registered, um, you know, a registered dietitian or a doctor, whatever it might be? But it's even at that, it's difficult because I've seen some people who are qualified give out weird, weird yeah. kind of advice as well. And I think that comes back to people having experiences with food. So it's tricky. It's it's it is the wild, wild west for yeah. sure. You're right because there's so many different parts that can be broken apart. But I think one really important thing you said right at the beginning there was about how when if you and I ate the same, we might never look the same. And this took me years to get my head around the fact that some people talking about body image very um, what's the word um, so this is going to be really an ugly description because I don't mean this now but I'm just saying in the mindset of a young woman I couldn't understand why someone would be really skinny and eat loads of food and someone else might eat not very much food and not be as skinny and I think we've been so taught that especially for the guilt thing that we are in we are in control of how our body looks and we should be able to especially as women make ourselves look a way that it's deemed like a certain social version of beauty but actually all of us I don't want to say set point because I know that's actually like a scientific you might be able to explain yeah. that a bit more 
but basically your body will have a place it wants to be mine always comes back sometimes I lose weight I don't mean to like if I stop training I lose I drop muscle I look a bit slimmer and sometimes I'll eat a bit more and I'll get a bit bigger but generally uh, as I uh, my body just comes back to the same size which is obviously where it likes to be it's like a natural point for it and basically if you push your body too far either way like it's going to feel uncomfortable but I think the scope for what a natural healthy body can be can be anything from a size six up to whatever size. And I think we need to stop believing that um, we're wrong if we don't fit into that set body type. Because as you say, you could do everything perfectly with your diet and verticomers and still look in a way that you might deem to be not how you think is healthy. I'm trying to word that carefully. No, absolutely. Um, like healthy bodies come in all shapes and sizes mm. and like even down to like our bone length and structure is so different in one another. So like I will never have a long torso. So like I look, yeah, I've got very long legs, but I've got a short torso. And I, that used to not like upset me, but like I would, I, I would always want that hourglass shape mm. and it's just like something that I'm not going to have. Um, I've got like quite a, an athletic type of frame and that's fine and I'm healthy and before that was an issue but now it's not and I think we if we're looking at um kind of people on in magazines or on Instagram and we're just seeing one type of body we're going to think that something's wrong with our body if it mm. doesn't fit with that but if we kind of diversify what we see and I know that word's tr- thrown around all the time like diversify your feet but it's so true yeah like look at different bodies and how they move and how they're different and different color skin and different texture hair and everything's so different yeah um but I think like you know for like I'm always asked like how can we kind of cultivate an environment for like young girls to grow up in and I think when you're going through puberty you have those beliefs anyway you think that way and it's going to be very difficult to change that sometimes you have to go through a period where you feel a bit awkward and uncomfortable and you learn what you're you know what we like your hair I think I had my hair like five six different colors at one point but that wasn't a bad thing. I think the bad thing is that we're like, we're, we don't want them to believe that they have to look a certain way or that there's one right way. Yeah. Um, and I think that definitely comes down to body shape and size, which is why I don't really focus on weight. I don't, I don't talk about it on my page. It's not like an argument I want to get into. I don't care what your weight is. Yeah. I'm, I just care about promoting health. So we talk about di- di- dieting from a nutrition point of view. We talk about exercise um we talk about sleep management um my kind of food medic page has become more medical as a, as a result of that mm. so i think we shouldn't be afraid to talk about food um talking about it doesn't mean that you have to go on a diet when we say diet we don't necessarily mean weight loss yeah and it's like that's the problem mm. i i think people need to stop holding their breath and just and just talk about what they want to talk about yeah, I completely agree. I think that, as you say, we all, the other thing is we all have our own health, whether it's good health or bad health. Like you have, there is always areas that you could maybe change, but to someone like Hazel or I, like the way that we could improve our health might look very different to someone else. Just getting up off the sofa and going for a walk for one person might improve their health tenfold. Mm. And I think we've got to stop thinking that everything's linear or that we're all a monolith because we're completely not. And different it's just it's just also different. I think this is probably why messages don't good messages about nutrition don't get through because you can't condense it into a click clickbaity headline. It's so nuanced, there's so many caveats. Unfortunately, when we see things that get shared around or they're really interesting, exciting, like the celery juice thing, you can't condense nutrition into one 
thing that can just be used as like a tagline. No. And I think that we've got to start viewing it as uh, it's more that it's more holistic than that, I think. Yeah. I think also the the kind of the main nutrition messages which we've known for a long time haven't really changed and people are maybe bored of hearing them. It's not very sexy. Like, no. you know, everyone knows fruits and vegetables are important for them. Everyone knows to like eat their, you know, oily fish or get their omega threes elsewhere. Fiber is good for you. Like going for complex carbohydrates that are that are brown or whole grain, like not eating too much sugar, not drinking too much alcohol. Like those messages, people are like, yeah, I know, but what can I eat to cure my acne or what can I cure, eat to give me glowing skin or beautiful hair? And I wish I had those answers. And while food will definitely play a role in the condition of your skin or your hair or your anything, it's not going to cure X or Y. Um, like it's there's very, very few diseases that are mm. purely related to food, like celiac diseases and gluten is the only one I can think of on the top of my head, but also like, you know, deficiencies. But for a healthy individual, food can only go so far. And I don't want people to completely abandon Western medicine because it's like, I just feel that's happening already. Yeah. Like, it's like, it's not cool anymore because like, we've got doctors who are trying to push pills down our throats. It's like, maybe in a privatized healthcare, like in the States, but in the UK, like, I don't get any money yeah. by giving you a, a medicine. I'm going to prescribe you what I think is the most appropriate for your condition. If that's not pills, then it's not pills. If it is, then it is. You're totally right with that because even when I was younger, I was under the impression, I don't know where I got this from, that they would give you, obviously in the NHS, they might try to save money in terms of like if a certain medicine costs more, like the pills sometimes, mm. I guess they could prescribe a cheaper pill. But I also had that concept that like, you would get paid more. And you're completely right in this idea of like, um, we see it a lot, especially when people talk about cancer cures and things. But modern medicine does obviously work. That's why we use it. Like if it, if there was a better way of doing something, it would be done. It's just the regulation around medicine takes so long, doesn't it, to push things through. Um, but as you say, like teaming, I think going back to the skin point, I know that that's a real thing. People get, it can be so destructive to the way you feel if you have bad skin. But when it comes to like um, your body image and your hair and your skin and things, the best way to solve that problem is stop seeing that as like the biggest problem. I remember when I thought that my weight was my biggest issue that I had to fix. I was never happy because no matter how small you get, you could always get smaller. And so that mm. ends up being a never ending problem. And usually, actually, I think a lot of the time, I always say as women, but guys probably get this too. We use our bodies or our looks or the, or the superficial things as a means of kind of... Um, thinking oh, if we fix that problem everything else will get fixed and it allows us to maybe not address other areas and when you like let go of that feeling of like just like as if you're not good enough you actually will realize there's so much more to life and like going out for a walk and eating good food isn't just good because it will make your skin and hair and nails nice you actually your mental health improves so much yeah and it gives you so much more clarity and I know again that comes with a lot of privilege being able to do those things but it, and it's so hard to strip away the two. So yeah. I don't know. Yeah, no, it's so, it's so, so true. And I think, like, you make a good point because when it comes to food, we, we purely, like, just jump onto the conversation of, of weight um, and that we should only care for it, for it from yeah. that perspective. But actually, like, food's not just important for your physical health. Mm. It's absolutely important for your mental health. And, like, it's just, like, I think... Some people are like have this incredible metabolism in that they can eat like a horse and, and not gain any weight and they 
don't really care about what they put into their body. But we know that food has bioactive compounds that will change or will determine your health in the long run. We we can link food and, and mental health conditions together. So there's like, there's so many other things going on. But, you know, even coming to the mental health thing, like if you are like, when it comes to protecting our mental health, it's not just eating. It's also like taking time over eating so that your body's not mm. stressed while you're eating so that you can actually absorb what you're consuming. Um, so there's so many things that come into the picture and you want to try create an environment where you're like less anxious about things. Yeah. That's easier said than done. Um like we live in a world of fake news when it's very difficult not to be anxious about things. There's always something happening. We've got access to the news at our fingertips. So it's like, it's it's difficult. But my biggest piece of advice would be to people is address the stress in your life first and then focus on the other things. Because what I see people fall down most at is they want to have the perfect diet. They want to mm. go to the perfect classes, exercise classes. They want to sleep eight hours a night they want to have a digital detox in the evening they want to have a some self-care and like they want to do everything and then they're so burnt out from trying to do everything that they're not healthy at all yeah that's the thing I think you're so right that like the extreme as you say like orthorexia and things is that it always comes back to and I hate this like balancing but it is literally that you can't you've you but also you've got to find your own equilibrium like puts I'm me and my friends all eat really differently but I've found my perfect balance of things and it'll look totally different to what Hazel eats mm. and it's I think it's also trusting yourself that you are allowed to be in charge of your food I know that social settings sorry never stop talking but <laughs> when you're out with friends I even remember thinking if I order salad will they think what if I just want a salad it would like be a whole do you ever do that like you sit and think if I order a salad they're gonna think I'm on a diet but I just really fancy a lettuce I mean I'll order a burger because that there's weird pressures depending on your body shape if you're a, 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 in a bigger body you might think I should order something that looks like I'm trying to diet if you're in a smaller body you might want to eat something that looks more calorie dense there's all these really weird like psychological things that we go through and I think you've just got to trust yourself and boundary setting is really important I know we talk about it with friendships and relationships and alcohol and all those things but with your food as well if you feel like you you should try and be in control of your food rather than let it control you and I think that's an issue that a lot of people struggle with yeah no absolutely I think yeah we shouldn't be so focused in that, like, our whole day's focused around food. And while some people will be like, oh, my God, my whole, like, that's the only thing I look forward to yeah. in the day. And I absolutely get that. Like, some days, on the busiest of days, I'm like, I'm so excited for lunch. But it's more so for that, like, five minutes of sitting mm. down and just, like, and enjoying something. And that's fine. But if it's, like, if you're stressing about, like, what you're going to have in the morning, what you're going to have at lunchtime, how that's going to fit into your day, will that bring you over an X kind of target, how that's going to make you feel, will that contribute to how you look? Mm. That that Those kind of tendencies are really, really dangerous and they're problematic. Um, and I'd address them sooner rather than later if you feel like that you're fitting into those brackets mm. because that can really, really run away on you. Yeah. I also think that um, it took me so long to get out of having those weird, almost, oh, what's the word, like neurotic tendencies around food. And I think that sometimes also when we, when it can feel quite attacking when you notice that you have disordered a disordered relationship with food, that like you feel like oh, I'm doing something wrong. But again, coming back to that thing of like the individual versus the system, we've all kind of been produced in an environment where we're taught to be fearful of food. So sometimes it can take 
some people like love people love to ask like what's your relationship with food it's a really everyone has a relationship with food mm. and I think you should work on it as much as you might work on your relationship like with your boyfriend or it's never going to be easy because unfortunately it's not easy and sometimes you might actually have to think god I'm really gonna have to work on this it's not because you're a failure or because you've not you're not doing it right mm. it's just something you have to unlearn a lot of things that you've been taught whether that's by your parents or your friends or the tv um and like not not feel like you're doing anything wrong with food which I think is our, our biggest fear yeah it's very rarely to do any anything to do with food it's yeah the control yeah um so yeah it's just uh, we need to be more compassionate with ourselves as well when yeah it comes to those things but yeah for like a lot of people I know for me for a long time it was more the con- like control of like feeling like I was on top of mm. what I was doing in my life like and making sure I was eating healthy all the time and I think, like, I definitely exhibited some, like, orthorexic tendencies mm. and luckily kind of knocked that on the head pretty early and realized, actually, it's not normal to stress about, you know, kind of the macronutrient composition of foods. Because at that time, like, the people who I was spending with or, like, online with, everyone was doing it. So oh, it's yeah. very normal. We, like, normalized disordered eating. And then... I look back and I think I never want to put anyone in that position. I Like, you know, I I got advice from coaches at the time who were like, you know, eat X and eat this amount of calories. And I'm like, that is that is so dangerous. It was the bodybuilding era, though. It was when, like, mm. bodybuilding had just come over from the US and, and everyone was like... It felt really empowering, though, because I don't know about you, but that first era, it was like the first time that women were really coming to the forefront of fitness yeah. and being like, do you know what? I'm not just going to be skinny. Not that everyone, everyone was obviously small, but it was like a new, it felt powerful to be like, I'm going to be in control of my own body. So do you think it started, I think it started the whole wave of the fact that women are more successful in the fitness and health spaces online, which I think is incredible. Yeah. But it definitely did start in a place that was just trickled down from like bikini prep, which was kind of where everything started. I mean, I even did a bikini competition because it was just yes. normal. Yeah. It was, especially in Cardiff, just everyone was doing that. Everyone does, everyone still does it in Cardiff. <laughs> <laughs> like, bodybuilding's so big there. Yeah. Um, and like, no disrespect because I know some people absolutely enjoy it and yeah. see it as sport and that's great. But I think like, not everyone has to eat like a bodybuilder. Yeah. And I think a lot of people fell into that trap. Um, and also, like, bodybuilding should be seen as, as well, a sport, sport or, like, a, yeah. a, a, you know, like, it's a it's an activity, it's a, a hobby, whatever it might be. It's not, like, something that happens year on year for the rest of your life and you don't have to eat in that way. And I think loads of people will get their meal plans from bodybuilders and it's, like, chicken and rice and mm. eggs and things like that. And it's, like, even that, I don't think that's healthy. I'm, like, you know, it's, I think those I'm glad that we've moved away from that. Yeah. And I think that's kind of like dying out, um, you know, maybe for like select people who are actually interested in doing that, that's absolutely fine. But at least that they're not the leaders who in nutrition anymore. Yeah, <laughs> um, totally. And they shouldn't be, you know. No. Um, and I don't think we all need to eat like a dietitian or a nutritionist or whatever it might be either. Like, that's also one of my biggest pet peeves. People are like, oh, you're the food medic, you must eat so healthy all the time. And it's just like, I'm a person. Yeah. Like, you know, like, I look at my phone when I'm in bed. I sometimes don't exercise for days on end. I try to. Like, I drink far too much coffee. I eat a lot of refined sugar sometimes. Mm. Like, it's, I'm a human and you're human. And I think 
what you do the majority of the time is fine. Yeah. Um, and what you do like on random days where it doesn't matter. And again, when I'm, you know, on social media, I keep thinking like, am I really speaking to the people who need who need yeah. to hear me? I know, I completely agree. And because that context is so important. It's a bit like when uh, someone starts at a place where they do classes and they do challenges mm. and um, they were saying like what the meal plan they're on. And I was like, you can't eat 1,200 calories a day. You work in the city. You start work at seven and you're going to go do a class and you finish work. At, do you know how much energy you're expending throughout that day? Like how how is it? We've just lost all the context around the fact that like, we are, we have so many things to do. We're like a lot of the people that we're friends with that like, young, really busy, you're working really hard, like you need energy. So to be on a diet is not only like maybe unhelpful, it's really impractical. Mm. We've like lost this touch with food. And I think that like when bodybuilders, I remember I didn't eat salt for about two years because I remember a plan from a person said like no salt because it'll make you retain water. I love salt now. And I'm like, <laughs> yes. But it's all these really like, why Why do you want to worry about your nutrient timings if you're not an athlete? Why are you weighing yourself? Like, what is all of those things that you, sometimes I think we don't interrogate things enough. And actually, if you step back and look at what you're doing, like, oh, that was so pointless. Even now, I'm like, why do I need to lift really heavy? I almost used to, like, keep training, like, to get heavier and heavier because male PTs, especially online, like, progressive overload. And yeah. I was like, actually, I'm not trying to build muscle. I'm not doing just through my ring I'm not doing anything I just want to go and exercise yeah if I just want to squat 40 kilos I'm going to do that but I was in this even for a little bit a mind where I was like I have to be doing 100 kilos or more so that I'm like there's lots of weird things that we get in our mind because we're so concerned about doing the right thing in the eyes of others when actually like now I go for a walk in the morning and I count that as my training yeah like I love that yeah absolutely and I think you know like you mentioned that diet plan of 1200 and I I know the one that you're talking about and it it says like to remove like lots of other things as well but like for most people 1200 calories is might even be less than your bmr which is like your basal mm. metabolic rate and that's the that's just what you need to function not exercise just for your body to breathe to blink your eyelids to you know do all of the processes in your body so like the fact that someone will put you on a diet that's mm. less than that like it's just so damaging to your metabolism your hormones everything that's going on yeah um and yeah i find ooh, those plants so frustrating how are they still around how are they still allowed um it's like yeah yeah that's that's super frustrating but when you mention like using um walking as exercise like i think that's that's absolutely fine yeah exercise doesn't need to fit into like little silos yeah yeah exactly whatever like whatever your body needs to move I think that's where hopefully we'll like come back to and I see it a lot with like lots of people that were online in that time now we're finally getting to a place place where we're like oh it's almost just reconnecting with what it was to be human before like (laughs) the industrial revolution it's kind of like we've lost touch so much with that desire just to move and like the rhetoric around exercise being kind of like punishment or too much and actually obviously not to be ableist, but if you are able-bodied and able to move, like, it is fun and nice and, yeah, I feel like we've gone all over the place with this chat. Oh, I know. (laughs) Was there anything else particularly that you wanted to talk about or that you think is, like, important to know? I don't think so. I think we covered, like, everything when it comes to diets and particularly online. Um, It's, it's, frustrating in that like I don't have a solution yeah. to like how we 
get majority of people eating in a way that's healthy, but that's not encouraging disordered eating and that like gives them food freedom as well. So I guess, you know, when it comes to sound bites and takeaways, you want people to eat a diet that does support their health, but one that does support kind of their social life as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think that it's with food, Jessica Foster Q always says this, but she says about how if you have an addiction to smoking or alcohol, like you quit those things and then you can hopefully get over it. But if you have issues with food, you've still got to eat every day. Yeah. And that that's the problem of it. You know, it's it's so much more than its sustenance, but it's also it can be crazy and scary and, and nuanced. And I think I think the conversation around food, why we need to make sure that we don't devalue it is that all of the things we've spoken about, whether that's body image or your socioeconomic background or your culture, religion, family or whatever, until we have a better, well, I know that's so awful because we're in like such a messed up moment in the mm-hmm. world, but until society really fits, food is, I guess, a symptom of everything because it is in everything. Mm. So I think our relationship with food will only mirror the times. And it seems like the fact that we're in such a polarized time with food is just representing like the government. I really do think it's that. Um, cyclical yeah and like I mean you always mention like how privileged we are that we even have like food on the Mm. table and one of the things that I was speaking about this week was IV supplement drips because I walk past it in Westfield oh yeah get asked it all the time and it's just like those kind of things are not only like dangerous but totally unnecessary and the kind of the cohort of patients that I deal with most of them can't absorb nutrients via their gut so they'll be all of their food, all of their um, fluids will go through a vein. And so they're on lifelong like bags of fluid and food. So their food isn't even like food, it's just a bag. Mm. And I know that they would love to not have to be connected to a drip or always have like a line in them and to be able to eat food and enjoy it for what it is than have to worry about whether they're absorbing or Mm. that they're, you know. And so when I see those people, I'm like, you know, we are so privileged that we can even consume food mm. and that we are, you know, able to afford it and go out and enjoy it for what it is. And that makes me sad when when I think we we reduce it to like a medicine, like like with those drips and things like that. Yeah, I think it's it's really sad. I think you're right. That's such a strange sliding scale of sometimes you need to see, realize what you're doing. I think when you have so much, it can be very, very easy to like almost look for the next Mm. thing but yeah oh it's been really amazing chatting to you thank you so much for coming on so if everyone wants to find you you are the food medic on everything on everything instagram twitter and facebook even though i don't really use the latter that much and um i've got a website and the food medic could uk and then my books are on amazon amazing have you got anything coming up that you want to plug i do not no uh (laughs) for the next six months i'm in this kind of very full-on job oh yeah um, of course so, yeah i'm i'm gonna be focusing on that well congratulations <laughs> i'm looking forward to see what you do next thank you thanks so much for listening guys i will see you soon bye When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. 
Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.